I don't know where my love of corn initially comes from. I think it must have something to do with my mom. This corn, this red corn is like the most beautiful, vibrant yeah, corn I've like ever seen. little rubies. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like each kernel is a, a bulbous, like burgundy, fiery <laughs> ruby. <laughs> Corn is at the core of modern agribusiness, the most important food crop in North America. In no other crop are the values of modern commercial agribusiness as thoroughly embedded. There is nothing we can do that is ultimately subversive. There is no act of gardening that is so profound a rebellion. There is no act of eating that is so potent a blow for food quality and food system sanity as to take back the corn crops in our own backyards and grow, breed, eat and save seed of corn based upon an entirely different set of values. Welcome to The Moon Podcast, a series of stories, conversations, and commentary on feminist agroecology from around the world. This podcast seeks to tell the inspiring stories of everyday women, what they grow, what they eat, how they heal, and why they spend time outside. We'll be exploring everything from moon cycles to midwifery, from crop rotation to kombucha brewing from herbalism to homesteading. That quote about corn is the words of Carol Depp, an Oregon-based plant breeder and author. This episode is about growing corn and also delves into the current state of affairs for small farmers in Mendocino County, California. You'll hear an interview with Maggie Barrett, a gardener and co-founder of Three Sisters Produce in the town of Fort Bragg. Not only does she tell us why we should care about growing corn, but she comments on issues of land ownership, food distribution, and the value of physical labor. Maggie draws on her experiences at the UC Berkeley Student Organic Garden, the UC Santa Cruz Center for Agroecology and Sustainable Food Systems Apprenticeship, and various farms that she spent time on in Northern California. Gardening is very much a part of my, like, the mothering line in my family, uh, going way back. But, so when I was a kid, my mom always had a big veggie garden. My grandma had a rose garden. I remember being in my great-grandma's succulent garden. Um, but when I, I always took it for granted. And when I was in co in high school, uh, I joke around that uh, my version of rebelling against my parents was that I decided I wanted to be a lawyer and work in an office and have a job where I like wore clean clothes to work every day because uh, both my parents had outdoorsy jobs. And then once I got to college, I uh, realized how much gardening was a part of me and uh, how challenging it was to not have my hands in the soil on a regular basis. Um, so I reconnected with farming and gardening pretty quickly and loved being able to connect all these uh, social and economic and environmental injustices to um, farming and recognizing that as a platform for a lot of really beautiful uh, community empowerment and individual empowerment. Uh, but I still wasn't ready to acknowledge the importance of being at home. So after college, I bopped around a little bit and experimented with farming and living in different communities. And um, it's only been recently, 
I've been home for about a year and a half, and it's only been within these last few months that I've recognized the power of being back in the place where I was born, working with my mother, uh, working in the community that raised me, and figuring out how to like feed everyone on a really basic level, um, how to nourish people both uh, with the actual food they're putting in, the bo- in their bodies, but also the connections that they have with each other and where the food is coming from, and just connecting more with our place, uh, which I like had no idea that I was going to end up back in this little little town but it's a story that is coming up more and more when I talk with people um, the idea of going home Three Sisters Produce Company is, I've been calling it, uh, the main product we offer is a subscription produce box with CSA integrity. Um, And CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. So traditionally, uh, CSA boxes, um, members subscribe to a farm and they pay upfront for a season's worth of produce and then get whatever the farm can produce um, in a weekly or bi-weekly box. Uh, different farms work it out different ways. And around here in Mendocino, there are a lot of small growers that have a hard time uh, growing enough produce to keep the keep enough diversity, keep it interesting for people, um, or they're just growing on such a small space that they don't necessarily want to grow for grow um, enough for a CSA. Instead, they focus on farmers markets. So my mom and I realized that our farmers have um, a challenge distributing what it is that they grow because our farmer's market is only Wednesdays from 3 to 6 or there's another one Fridays from 12 to 2. And it makes it really hard for anybody who has a regular working job to ever um, be able to buy local produce. And our grocery stores are pretty good about um, selling what they can, but generally they have to mark it up so much more that it is significantly more expensive. Um, So we really want to make local food more accessible to people in this area uh, and want to provide a guaranteed uh, market avenue for farmers. And, you know, multi-grower CSA isn't a new concept. It exists other places. So we feel like we're just taking a model that works other places and replicating it here. There are also like subscription produce services that buy produce from far away and market it as a CSA. So we really want to maintain the integrity of um, eaters knowing their farmers and uh, having a connection with where their food comes from, which then gets into the name. So we named our um, this project Three Sisters Produce Company for a few different reasons. One is that uh, my mom right now, she's the garden teacher at the elementary schools in Fort Bragg. She's been doing it for about 20 years. And at the kindergarten, first and second grade school, she focuses on the three sisters, corn, beans, and squash. And each grade has a different concentration and they get to follow Mm. the plant through the whole course of its life. She has the whole rhythm figured out where like 
first graders harvest corn and kindergartners focus on pumpkins and second graders do all the shucking of the scarlet runner beans and um, she talks with them about how those plants have been really important for indigenous communities all over and the plants support each other. So in this in this growing system um, that humans have been able to evolve with, uh, the plants really benefit from growing together. And so we want to like maintain that awareness around corn, beans, and squash and also bring a level of awareness into um, if growers and distributors and eaters can all work together, we actually will be more successful, um, more nourished, uh, more resilient to whatever changes we face in climate or political, our political system or anything. Um, so maintaining kind of local food sovereignty uh, in the ways that we can in a modern context when a lot of people work and, you know, can't, can't go to their farm, go to a farm to buy their produce every week. So we want to have pre-packaged boxes with recipes and ideas of what to do with all the summer squash that people get tired of or, um, you know, ways to keep chard and kale exciting or ways to preserve the bounty when it exists and be able to eat off of it all winter. Our goal this year is to just do a trial season, uh, really work out uh, the process and logistics and then grow it, um, hopefully up to about 300 members in the next five years. Um, and working with farmers who, uh, you know, we can get a little bit of things from a bunch of different farmers, or if farmers really want to get good at growing salad mix of, you know, varying uh, different varieties, they can focus on salad mix or um, allowing farmers to focus on what does well in their growing area. So like coastal growers, it's really easy to grow greens in the middle of the summer, a lot harder to get a good tomato. So we can get our greens from coastal farmers, get tomatoes from inland, melons from inland, um, and really help bridge, bridge the gaps that exist when communities are so spread out in a rural area. Um, and then the last, the last part of the name that's kind of exciting is that, um, there's three sisters of myself and my mom and my grandma all working on the project in varying degrees of engagement. It's primarily my mom and myself, but um, my grandma is very much there to support. So it's fun to have um, all these different elements of three sisters. Uh, and eventually we really want to grow corn, beans, and squash. Um, we just are, my mom really loves beans. I'm obsessed with corn. Um, just like figuring out how we can incorporate growing storage, nutritious, nutrient dense food um, into our local food economy rather than like just cucumbers and lettuce and tomatoes. So. Going back to the name, can yeah. you explain the relationship between corn, beans, and squash and how they support each other for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, totally. Thank you. Um, yeah, so the way that I understand it, and there's a, uh, our, incredible um more the storytelling and the mythology behind it i don't feel well versed in that but from a botanical standpoint uh the corn requires a lot of nutrients from the soil so as the corn grows um the bean has this incredible relationship with some microbe something or others in their roots where they fix nitrogen into the soil which feeds the corn and then the corn also provides a um, trellis for the bean to climb up. And then the squash is growing 
across the whole floor, um, along the ground, keeping weeds down and keeping moisture in the ground to help all of the roots have more, um, yeah, water and nutrients and less competition. And um, all the plants are happier when they're grown together. Your yields are higher because they can support each other. So let's go into some of those three sisters legends and myths that come from the Native American cultures. I did a little research and found some interesting information from an old farmer's almanac. It says that by the time the European settlers arrived in the New World in the early 1600s, the Native Americans had been growing the three sisters for over three centuries. The vegetable trio sustained the Native Americans both physically and spiritually. In the legend, the plants were a gift from the gods always to be grown together, eaten together, and celebrated together. I found various versions of the Three Sisters legends, since different tribes had different stories about them and their creation. An Iroquois legend that I found goes like this. The term Three Sisters emerged from the Iroquois creation myth. It was said that the earth began when sky women, who lived in the upper world, peered through a hole in the sky and fell through to an endless sea. The animals saw her coming, so they took the soil from the bottom of the sea and spread it onto the back of a giant turtle, to provide a safe place for her to land. This turtle island is now what we call North America. Sky Woman had become pregnant before she fell. When she landed, she gave birth to a daughter. When the daughter grew into a young woman, she also became pregnant by the west wind. She died while giving birth to two twins. Sky Woman buried her daughter in the new earth. From her grave grew three sacred plants, corn, beans, and squash. These plants provided food for her sons and later for all of humanity. These special gifts ensured the survival of the Iroquois people. And a Cherokee version that I found sees the three plants as three sisters that initially didn't get along. It goes something like this. Corn Girl was the first sister who wore a pale green dress and had long yellow hair that blew in the wind. Corn Girl liked to stand straight and tall, but the hot sun burned her feet and hurt her. The longer Corn Girl stood in her field, the hungrier she got. Every day, more weeds were growing up around her and choking her. The second sister was very thin and quick and fast. Her name was Bean Girl, but she wasn't very strong. She couldn't even stand up on her own. She was good at making food, but she just had to lie there, stretched out on the ground, where she would get dirty and wet. The third sister was named Squash Girl. She was short and round and wore a yellow dress. She was hungry, too. For a long time, the sisters didn't get along. They each wanted to be independent and free and have nothing to do with the other two. Eventually, they realized how they could help each other and began working together so that all three of them were healthier and happier. So those are just two of many variations on the three sisters myths that I found. There are certainly many more out there that reflect the diversity of the Native American tribes throughout the continent. Now let's go back to Maggie's interview as she gets into the agroecology movement in Mendocino County. Fort Bragg is going through some kind of interesting growing pains right now. The mill closed in the early 2000s, and the fishing industry is really slowing down. So our town is shifting away from those 
uh, kind of more blue-collar working type jobs to tourism and service industry and small businesses, which is opens up a lot of possibilities for varying degrees of entrepreneurship and uh, food production because we have tourists flocking here all the time during the summer and it's starting to be more of a year-round flow and a lot of the restaurants want to have local food and basically anything that people grow around here they can sell to them um, and to local residents so there's a lot of demand it's just a matter of um, getting getting people up here who want to do it There's this interesting, like, uh, kind of, like, sexiness around farming or something, and uh, I think that when people start to actually realize how much work it takes, uh, there's folks that can stick with it, and then there's people who, you know, had their few years of woofing or interning on farms, and um, they then carry that... Uh, awareness and engagement with themselves through the rest of their life, which is incredibly powerful. Um, I don't think they're farmers. I think that uh, it's it's really important to recognize and honor the people who truly are farming and truly are farmers and are making their living off of the land that they're tending and are um, working, you know, 80 to 100 to 120 hour weeks in the middle of the summer and don't have paid vacation and and love it, but also probably hate it sometimes. Um, and uh, I think that something that I've realized is that I don't want to be a farmer. <laughs> I love gardening. I love having my hands in the dirt. I love being on farms, but that level of stress of um, your your livelihood being connected to um, this really, you know, unreliable source of income is really terrifying. Um, so I'm recognizing that my role is figuring out ways that we can, that I can support farmers and support create systems that make their lives and their jobs slightly easier um, while also like you know bowing down to them whenever possible because we we eat because of the sleepless hours that they've spent um, tending their land uh, as far as Mendocino County in particular I'm so thrilled to have found the things that I found here I I think when I left the Bay Area, I was kind of searching for all of the things that I'm finding here, which is great. Um, just, you know, all across the board, there's um, elders around here who uh, really know what they're doing with their land. They know how to grow in this complicated coastal climate. Uh, I think last year in August, we had one day of sun, which if you're a gardener, you know, trying to grow summer crops is really confusing. Um, and people know how to deal with that. They have good strategies for hoop houses, uh, strategies for planting things later, expecting that your sunshine is going to happen in September and October. Uh, they're incredible resources. We have a farmer's guild and a gardener meetup around here for folks to just connect and share information. 
there's a group that just got together to um, wanting to start a Mendocino Herb Exchange modeled after the Sonoma County one, uh, recognizing that there's a lot of bounty around here. There are medicine makers. Let's grow medicine. Um, there's people right now really excited about bees and pollinators. Fort Bragg just became the first uh, registered bee-friendly city in California. I don't know what that means, but there's a committee of people trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and there's land, which to me has been really powerful to uh, recognize and understand that land is available for people who want to farm it. It's not available in the traditional land ownership sense. But to me, that's really exciting. Uh, to try to get away from that model of what it means to own land in this Western context. Uh, most of the world, you know, thinks about it a little bit differently. And I've been able to meet some really amazing people who um, have land, their bodies are slowing down, but they want to engage with young people who are excited about it. And um, Anyone who I talk to who is, like, trying to figure out what to do with their lives, I kind of like, well, come to Mendocino. You never know what you're going to find. There's a certain level of grit, I think, that it takes to live in a rural, rural space, but there's also incredible luxury that comes with that uh, that looks different than luxuries in a more urban context, but um, can be just as valuable, I think. Not that I'm biased. What would the traditional sense of land ownership be and what kind of like access to land owner or like pseudo ownership do you see happening now? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I think of the traditional land ownership of, you know, being able to like, buy a piece of property, build a house, or it has a house on it, um, with all of the modern amenities um, in place, and, you know, maybe you take out a 15 or a 30-year mortgage and, and then have a consistent enough income to be able to pay that mortgage back every month, and I think that often for farmers that's challenging, um, you know, cash flows more and less at different times of the year, um, and uh, it can be kind of scary to invest so much in a space that maybe isn't going to be yours. Um, interesting kind of alternatives that I've seen to that is people who are farming on family land, so land that, are, you know, has already been in their family. They're recognizing that they don't have to go off by themselves and start some new thing. They can... Uh, be a part of a family legacy um, and it might not be a prime location or a prime situation but you can make it work and that can be exciting uh, people have around here have teamed up with local businesses and figured out ways that they can um, work on supporting the business and have the business support the farming project and um, share kind of some of those responsibilities around um, property management and taxes and all of that uh, and then I'm starting to get involved a little bit in a community land trust, uh, which a woman set up around here, and that feels exciting and confusing because there's so much unknown, but also interesting. Uh, right now, um, they have it where if you're a temporary resident for three years, uh, 
which means you live primarily on the land for three years and work it, um, you can open a 99-year lease through the Community Land Trust. So I'm learning more about that. Uh, and then there's people approach me probably multiple times a week saying that they have land and they have equipment and they want someone to farm their property. Um, and if I could replicate myself, I'd have farming projects happening all over the place because I have a lot of different kinds of corn that I want to grow this year. <laughs> and growing them all in the same place sounds kind of intense with trying to keep pollination separate. Another important thing to think about with at least the agriculture, the state of agriculture in the United States um, is like the way that we view labor and hard work and recognizing that hard work doesn't have to happen behind a computer and there can be dignity in sweat labor and uh, it's like critical for us to maintain as a society is that we like we need to value sweat labor and so figuring out how um, we can kind of get back to that a little bit more and I think an important part is starting with kids like get keeping kids excited about running around outside and getting sweaty and playing in dirt saved some corn seed from Santa Cruz and uh, brought it with me back here last year and planted it. And a lot of people were like, 
you're crazy, you can't grow dry corn on the coast. Um, you know, we have fog all the time. And I did grow it, <laughs> and it worked, and it's really beautiful. It's called Cascade Ruby Gold, and it's from a line that Carol Depp uh, bred, and she's a seed breeder up in Oregon. Um, her, she has a couple of books. The one that I love right now, it's my garden Bible, um, is The Resilient Gardener. And uh, she's an incredible resource for information about uh, really growing for sustenance. I think that it's important to maintain the culture around growing corn, but then I also want to reconnect with the culture around eating corn. And something that Carol Depp talked about in her books is that uh, we've developed, we as humans have developed recipes that go along with specific types of corn. So if you use, you follow a recipe and you use the wrong kind of corn, it's going to come out differently. There's a difference between tortilla corns versus polenta corns versus popcorns. And often people will use the wrong kind of corn and be like, oh, well, growing your own corn is a bummer and the food didn't taste that good. Carol Depp says that the red is best for cornbread, that the darkness has a really deep uh, flavor when you bake it, and that the yellow is really good for polenta. And one of the reasons she developed this Cascade series, she has bunch of different ones. Um, there's, I want to try sometime, uh, I think it's Cascade Maple something, which is supposed to have a really sweet flavor. But she likes that there's diversity within the crop, so that you can get polenta corn and cornbread corn out of your same planting is really great, rather than all just flour or something like that. Corn needs a lot of water and it needs a lot of nutrients, which scares a lot of home gardeners away from growing it. Uh, but if you're growing your corn in a rotation with cover crops in the winter to replenish the soil, you're, maybe you have chickens or your neighbor has a horse, you can get some manure. Um, that's really great. All the biomass that the corn grows is a really great addition to your compost pile, so you get that added benefit. Um, so, you know, there's trade-offs, but I don't have the exact data, but I know that per square foot corn more efficiently turns water into edible calories than wheat does. And, uh, you know, we, we, most people rely on some kind of grain for uh, an actual um, denser nutrients for, in their diet. And if we can grow more efficient grains, I think that's important um, than relying on Midwest wheat or Midwest corn in toxic forms. I feel like corn has been very abused by our modern food system. It's been, like more than anything else, it has been uh, so exploited in its power. And especially because it's a, um, corn in its more original sense has sustained humans for tens of thousands of years. We've had a relationship with the seed for so long. And I, uh, it's like, 
it feels painful that we've exploited it to such an extreme level and literally turned it into something that's toxic for us. In order to eat it, it has to be so manipulated that then it becomes poison for our bodies when it has been something that has nourished us in the past and still nourishes communities in other places. Um, and so to kind of try to bring some of that reverence back and just appreciation for seed and humans who observed something and saved a seed and planted it again and just kept going is like, <laughs> um, yeah, to me, it's exciting to see what could happen out of that. You're bringing tears to Rose's eyes. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, yeah, corn's great. At this point in the conversation, our friend Rose, who was sitting in on the interview, began tearing up. It's a testament, I guess, to the power of Maggie's reverence for corn and its seed, and how expressing these stories can affect others' relationships with a plant. These little gemstones, you know? And corn silk. Yeah, <laughs> and just the sounds of, like, the leaves as it's growing is, like, the rustling of corn is, it's amazing. And it's only been these last few generations that that has changed so much, and I have confidence that we can change it back. You've been listening to The Moon Podcast. I'm your host, Annika Rice. The Moon Podcast features stories, conversations, and commentary about feminist agroecology from around the world. With content about women and by women, we can inspire each other to cultivate our own unique connection to our natural world. This episode featured music by Alicia Lang and Elena Shelton and was produced by Annika Rice. Do you love corn? Or the three sisters? Or other plants? Tell me about it at themoonpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Moon Podcast. If you've been liking this production, please take a few minutes to write a review on iTunes. It would be great to hear from you. Thanks, and until next time. <laughs>